listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I remember as a kid, one of my favorite things to do was building forts in the living room. Anybody do that growing up or is, was it just me? So I obviously, so it took a process to kind of make sure that I was allowed to do that in the living room, but I've started gathering on my stuff way before I got permission, obviously. So I gathered my cushions, I gathered my pillows, my sheets, and then I think this is where my passion for sales started because this is when I would go to my mom and say, hey, can I build a fort? And as soon as she, she say yes, right, I would run to the living room and I would recruit some people, right? I would recruit my siblings and I would be so happy because I got to tell them what to do. And so I would sit there, design our whole thing. And my favorite part about, you know, building the fort wasn't necessarily the design of it or the fan we would put in to make sure it all stayed cool in there or the little tunnels we built. But my favorite part is that I got to build my house. And in my house, I made the rules. And as a younger sibling, that was awesome. So I got to tell everybody what to do and how you should obey. And eventually, obviously, as little kids would do, we would get into fights, right? And um, ultimately, the, the empire, the kingdom would start crumbling, right? And so somebody would push a cushion and all of a sudden I came out to try to fix this thing. It turned into a fight and my mom would finally say, hey, we're done here. Go put everything back. And so I tell this story because today we'll be talking about the kingdom of God, right? And as we think about our kingdom, what I hope we see today as we talk through the Lord's prayer is that God's kingdom isn't like any kingdom we build, right? That even our best efforts to creating our empire, our kingdom, those will fall short. It would be like looking at my fort in through a window inside of a mansion saying, this house is awesome, right? And so I hope that today as we dive into this, that we would see how beautiful and much greater God's kingdom is than we could even imagine. Um, but what does it mean for us to kind of live in God's kingdom? Because I know this idea of asking for the kingdom of God to come and his will to be done is kind of confusing, or at least it was to me when I first uh, read it. But what we'll see is that God's desire for his people is that they would draw near to him in prayer. And in turn, that he would use us for the expansion of his kingdom on earth. And so today, we'll, as, you, as we read, we'll be diving into verse 10 specifically. Um, and we'll see, kind of uh, try to understand what it means for us as Christians to embrace this model of prayer that Jesus gave out to his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what we'll see is that Jesus isn't just teaching them the words they should say, the pattern they should follow, but Jesus is trying to show them that our approach to prayer is actually an attitude. It should be a posture that we come before God, not necessarily some rules that we follow. And so we'll start, take it off. Last week we saw that um, Jesus starts his prayer saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he makes two requests from God. And his, this entire portion of the, um, of the prayer at the beginning is focused on God. He says, Your kingdom come. Notice he's not using any language uh, to ask God for anything. He's not using any language to ask God for anything for the people that he serves. He starts saying that your kingdom come. 
And I don't know about you, but when I pray, I don't tend to think about his kingdom, right? I may make a list maybe of the things that I'm grateful for that day. I may make a list of the things that come to mind that I really enjoy in my life. And I start thanking God for those things, which are ultimately revolving around me. And then I got my laundry list of things that I'm going to dump on God now because I need help, right? And that's not the model that Jesus is showing us uh, here for prayer. We see that Jesus is teaching us that prayer should be informed by the gospel and should be centered around God and his purposes, not my desires and my agenda. And so he's specifically going to model the kind of issues that our prayers should prioritize and the kind of order that we should follow, right? See, much of our, much of our prayer can be motivated by the desire that things would go well, right? We come before God asking that maybe our lives would be a little more comfortable, maybe that our lives would be a little more pleasurable, a little bit more enjoyable, that the things, that the suffering in our lives would pass away. But Jesus is trying to model a way of reorienting our hearts, reorienting our mind to focus on him. That we can come before the Father recognizing that his kingdom is much greater than anything that we would want, anything that we could have going on in our lives. And there's a space to bring that to God. But what Jesus, but what Jesus is that it, when we approach him in prayer, our, ultimately des, our ultimate desire should be to align our desires and hopes with his. Because he has a beautiful and perfect plan. And purpose for all of creation, right? That is continuing to be played out. And so that might, you know, we might be asking, I understand that the kingdom of God has come to us through Jesus. Why do we have to pray that the kingdom of God would come to us, right? Has Jesus not won the victory? I thought he died on the cross so that we could, so that the kingdom would be here. And the answer is yes, the kingdom is here, right? We see Jesus talking over and over again of the kingdom being here through him. Look with me at Luke eleven seventeen. Just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here after um, driving the demon out of, uh, out of a man and he's um, challenging the Pharisees and he says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and the house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can the kingdom stand? And I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by that name. Now, if I drive out demons by Belzebel, which is my best attempt, um, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, Jesus is essentially telling the Pharisees, you see all these miracles that are happening? See, the, my ability to drive out demons? That is a, is a sign that the kingdom of God is already here. Right? And what does this, what does this mean for us? This means we, we live in a, in a unique time and, and space where Jesus has come to redeem us, but there is a kingdom that still hasn't been fully consummated on the world. And this is, a, this is a concept many theologians would address as the already but not yet. 
right? It's this time where we as humans have been redeemed through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but at the same time, there's still evil and sin present in our lives. It's a time where we can confidently say, God, our salvation is complete, but also we see the sin in our lives, right? It's a time where Christ has authority over all, but still Satan still has some power in the world, right? It's a time where we can draw near to God confidently, drawing from Jesus's love and power, but also a time where we might experience suffering, right? And that may help us kind of in understanding this tension that we live in, right? This tension that we live in as Christians where Jesus has come and he has established his kingdom, but there is a kingdom that will come, right? That will be established on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's helpful for us in understanding this idea of God's kingdom. But I think there's a a greater lesson here for us, church. See, what Jesus is trying to teach us here isn't that we should pray harder so that the kingdom of God would come. Jesus isn't trying to teach us that we should pray so that his will could be done because he doesn't know what he's doing. Instead, Jesus is showing us that we as believers should be responding to our human experience in a certain way. And we must take everything that's happening around us all the evil, all the pain, all the uncertainty of life and recognize that there is a kingdom that one day is coming that will be fully consummated on this earth where there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more wondering what the next turn in life might be that will cause me some pain, but that there is a king that will come back again. So you see that Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to pray that the kingdom of God will become more evident in our lives each day. And the second thing we see Jesus asking the father is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is modeling here again, isn't that we need to pray to make sure God's will is done because otherwise it's in jeopardy, right? Instead, what Jesus is asking is that God's kingdom would come to earth in such a way that every single person, that every person would do what God says as he's laid it out in scripture with joy. That every person on earth would worship him forever. See, Jesus is trying to model for us how we should long for the day in which every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's not only giving us a way to pray, he's reminding us that this is what's happening in heaven right now, right? That there will come a day when we will be like the angels, worshiping the Father without any guilt or shame, but in joy and perfection. Amen. We see a perfect picture of this worship uh, to the Father from the angels in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all praise the lord you his angels you mighty ones who do his bidding who obey his word praise the lord all the heavenly hosts you his servants who do his will praise the lord all his works everywhere in his dominion church this passage gives us a glimpse of what it will be like to worship jesus for the rest of eternity a place where there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, 
but instead a place where we can worship with the rest of creation, just as the, as the angels do without shame or guilt. A shame where sin and death isn't present and we will commune with God forever. So when we ask for God's will to, to be done, we're assuming a posture of holy submission that reminds us that we are not our own. See, when we pray, we're asking that God's will would be done through us. And in order for this to happen, there has to be certain things that become a reality in our lives. And first, it means that for us to be able to ask for God's will to be done in us, we need to deny ourselves. We need to deny ourselves from the things of this world. We need to deny ourselves from our hopes and desires and recognize that we are created for him. And therefore we can come with to him with open hands, asking that he would, that his will would be present, would be a present reality in our lives. And second, we need to recognize that our desires aren't God's desires, right? And that we need God to be transforming our desires and hopes so that we can properly come to him. When we come before him, we wouldn't be conflicted by our little gods that we try to control, but that we would surrender fully to him, that our desires would match what he wants for our lives. And lastly, we need, we need to recognize there's a cost associated to this, right? There's a cost that comes from following Jesus. There's a cost that comes from denying ourselves and getting rid of the things that come from this earth, right? but we need to recognize that this cost will be worth it in the end. See church, our prayer life will only improve when we align our desires and hopes with what God wants. And the reality is that God's mission is designed to go through us, which means the work starts with us, right? And when we approach him, we must ask that his will be done in our lives. And often it can be hard to kind of understand the will of God, right, for our lives. I think there's been a big kind of uh, misconception in the church in terms of how we view the will of God, right? What's the will of God for my life, we ask all the time, right? And I want to kind of give us a little bit of uh, uh, context here and a little bit of some practical direction in terms of God's will, what he's talking about in this passage, and how we can approach Questions like, what's the will of God in my life? See, most of the time these questions come up when, when we have bigger questions, right? Uh, come up in our lives. Maybe we're wondering, hey, where should I live? Right? Or what job should I take? Or who should I marry? Or which church should I join? And what I want to challenge us is to think through kind of the, the differences between God's will and godly wisdom. See, we ask the question, what's God's will for my life? And most of the time we're asking for direction. And so I want us to kind of understand the, the difference here um, so that we can hopefully um, have a way to approach uh, that question when it comes, when it comes to mind. So first and foremost is God's desire for our life is pretty simple, right? God's desire for us as his children is that we would be more like Jesus. 
that we would grow to be holier each day, that we would grow to be like him, to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. And this desire from God, right? This will from God should inform everything we do in our lives. Secondly, we we see that God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign. He's in control of the entire universe. And I was watching uh, the shark show, uh, shark, I don't know what the show is, but sharks on TV. There are tons of sharks out there, right? There, I mean, they, they found this little three-inch shark in the, in the bottom of the ocean. It's like, that's a lot of universe, right? And God's in control of all of that. He's sovereign. He does as he pleases. And he's in control of the entire universe. So we can trust his will. We know that it's good, right? We can trust that he is going to bring his will to completion and that it's going to be good and perfect. And so when we, when we kind of approach this question of what is the will of God for my life, um, we might be a little confused, maybe a little lost in the moment, but I think it's coming from a good place, right? It's coming from a place of saying, hey, I want to please God. I want to make sure I do, I, may, I do the right thing. But the, the challenge with that is that oftentimes we end up in paralysis, right? I don't know what to do, so I might as well not do anything. And what I want to challenge us is to think through kind of some practical steps to approach the will of God in our lives, which I want to just kind of challenge us to say, hey, let's talk about direction, not will, right? And so some practical steps to kind of answer that question in our lives is first, read the Bible. I, I mean, go to the scriptures to confirm that whatever it is that you're deciding, whatever it is that you're trying to figure out just aligns with scripture, right? That anything that you're trying to do wouldn't go against anything that God said in his word, right? That's step one. But I, the second thing is seek counsel, right? God has given us a community, a place where we can lean on each other, a place where we can seek counsel for those tougher questions in life, right? And so I want to encourage you, maybe make it a rule in your life, right? To say, hey, I'm not going to make a big decision in my life without consulting two of my friends, right? I know one, some of the most fruitful times in my life has been when I just lay it all out there, right? And say, hey, what do you think? What do you think I should do? Right. And so I want to make sure that we create a culture where that's okay. Right. To come to a friend and say, Hey, here's, here's, here's what I got. I got this job offer. I got this. What, what do you think I should do? Hey, I, 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 I'm thinking about marrying this person. Hopefully not another person, but I'm, I'm thinking about marrying this person. What do you think I should do? Right. And I think that should be something that we do habitually. And the third thing is bring it before God, right? God obviously wants to hear from his children, but the Bible also tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, that he should ask God, right? That generously gives to those who seek wisdom. And so I want to encourage you as you, as you go through decisions in your life, right? Where you can, you're trying to figure out what to do, just bring it to God, right? Just say, God, I, I don't know what to do with this. And you give me some wisdom, give me some direction. And, and, and the last thing I want to say is just make a decision, right? At the end of the day, once you've read the Bible, sought counsel, now you've brought it before God. It's time to make a call, right? 
And so I think we can, we, can, we can go through all these steps sometimes and then get to this place and say, still say, I don't know what to do. But at, at some point, you got to make a call, right? There isn't any feeling or conviction that's going to come all of a sudden. You got to make a call, right? And hopefully through God's wisdom, through his people in your life, through your communion with God, that hopefully you make the right choice, right? But God's ultimately des- ultimate desire isn't that we have the best job, isn't that we have this awesome house, isn't that we live in this awesome city. God's ultimate desire for us is that we would be more like Jesus. And he's given us his word. He's given us community around us. And the Bible tells us again, ask for wisdom. Because he's your father and he's kind and he wants to give you wisdom. Lastly, I kind of want to help us think through this time of waiting, right? As As we consider this idea of the kingdom is here, right? We've been redeemed by his blood, but there's still something to come. What do we do in this waiting? And waiting sucks right? I hate to wait. I, I get to the grocery store and if those lines, I mean, has anybody went to Walmart lately? It's, a, it's just a mess, right? You walk in there and there's lines, they, they got 30, 30 rows and only two are open. It's like, how does this make sense? Okay. But I walk in there and I'm impatient, right? The, the red light is red too long. And I'm like, what is going, it must be broken. I, I surely I can take it, right? It's gotta be broken. I've been, been there for 45 seconds, right? Waiting sucks. I mean, I, I remember one time uh, we, while, while Tiffany was pregnant, we decided, you know, as uh, any pregnant couple should do on Saturday night at 10 p.m. is go to McDonald's, right? Tiffany was craving a McFlurry, cookies and cream of McFlurry. So we decided, hey, let's get in the car. It's 10 p.m., but whatever. We don't have kids. We should do it now, right? And we decided to, to go to McDonald's. And so we, we get to McDonald's and unfortunately the dining room is closed, right? And I love the dining room because I can get in there and at least take an assessment of how much am I, how, how long is this going to take, right? But it's closed because COVID and other things. But so we sit there in line and we wait and time just starts passing and we wait and we wait and we wait and after waiting for about an hour in the drive-thru, yes, an hour in the drive-thru, I'm hangry. I mean, at this point, I'm not thinking about the McFlurry. I'm thinking about the Big Mac, the basket of fries, large drink. I'm thinking about the whole thing, right? But we get to the window and we finally get there after an hour and we say, can I have a McFlurry? And guess what? You know it. No, you can't. You can't. You can't have a McFlurry. Why? Because the machine is down. And, and at that point, it's like my heart dropped, right? It's like, I, I just want a McFlurry tonight, right? It's like, I should have gone to Freddy's. I know it. I should have gone to Freddy's. But, but I tell this story because waiting can be tough, right? And as, as we kind of wait for this, Period, right? The Bible gives us instructions on what we should be doing with this time while we wait, right? And I want to look a couple, a couple of passages here, a couple of verses. Um, and the first thing is um, in Ephesians 6, it tells us that while we wait, we should be fighting the battle, right? It says, 
and pray in the spirit on all occasions. He's just encouraged the people at Ephesus, right? To put on uh, the armor of God. And he's saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, Paul is telling the people of Ephesus, put on the armor of God, but he's also encouraging them to pray, right? And that should encourage us to pray. And more specifically, he's encouraging them to pray for the mission of God. That the ministry that they've been handed to, that they've been commissioned to would go forward and that they would fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That God would give us grace to do his mission, right? This should encourage us to always keep in in our prayer lives the mission of God in the forefront, right? Not only for the nations, but also for our local church. That God would give us that grace to do the mission of God as we do community, right? As we build playgrounds. That the gospel would continue to move forward through us. That's what it means for us to pray that the will of God would be done in our lives. Secondly, I want to show you in 1 Corinthians, it encourages us to run the race. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, this is awesome because the world games were here, but anyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get, get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like, do not run like someone running. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself not be disqualified for the prize, right? Again, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth to encourage them that, hey, as we wait for the return of our king, we should be running this race and not just running, but running hard, right? Running with a purpose. So in our waiting, we can come before God asking him to use us in his mission. Asking him that he would help us to continue to run the race and he would use us for his purposes. Because if we have a king that is truly returning, then that means our our lives aren't ours, right? Our, Our lives aren't ours to live. That means my job isn't mine. My house isn't mine. My car isn't mine. My possessions aren't mine. They're yours. They should be used for the kingdom, right? But we ask God to let us see glimpses, right, of this new kingdom on earth as we wait. That we would be used by him in our communities in ways that would make us long for his return. Church, we come before our father in prayer asking that his kingdom would be done and that his will would be done because we know this is not the end. Amen. That one day he will return and that we will be resurrected with him. That all our pain, all our suffering, the evil we see in this world will come to an end and he will wait for and he will reign forever. 
right? And, and church waiting for his kingdom isn't like waiting for a McFlurry, right? That's not there. Waiting for his kingdom, we know he's coming back, right? So we, would, we should wait with that confidence, knowing that his return will happen and that his kingdoms will come and that he will reign over the earth just like he reigns over the heavens and the worship that the angels experience, we will one day experience as well. And church, here's the deal. God, God wants to hear our prayers, right? God isn't, God isn't waiting up there. Oh, they're calling again, right? I, I, I remember the first time Lila said, Dada, right? Dada. And she, she, it was awesome, right? It was simple. I, she probably wasn't calling me, but I came running from the office. I'm like, this is awesome, right? And, and I say that because imagine me just coming like, oh, this is awesome. She just said that. Imagine how much more God wants to hear from you. A perfect God, a kind God, an all-loving God, all-knowing God, right? He wants to hear from his children. Bible tells us over and over again that God delights in us, right? And I want to challenge you, if you, if you, when you think of God, if you don't think of God as God just delighting in you, because maybe that's, that's tough. Maybe your, your parents never delighted in you, right? If you don't think of God as delighting in you, I want to challenge you to consider the gospel of grace that we have been given. That God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled to the father because he loves us. Right? And when we think of God, we should think of God delighting in us and we can come confidently in prayer, worshiping him and asking for help. Church, we can draw near to God in prayer because his desire is that we would live lives of total surrender in his kingdom so that he, his mission can continue to advance through us. He wants us totally surrender to use us. And so we wait, but we wait with confidence. We wait knowing that our king will one day return, return for his people. We would be resurrected and it's going to be a party. We will enjoy him for the rest of eternity. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.